When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Hello, podcast listeners. Before we go to this week's episode, I want to tell you about an upcoming online masterclass we're hosting with the presentation coach, Graham Davis, on November 25th. He's one of the world's leading public speaking coaches and has worked with CEOs of multiple FTSE 100 companies and leading politicians. In the masterclass, he'll provide a robust and repeatable methodology that allows you to be concise and compelling, whether you're speaking in a boardroom or just on Zoom. His techniques will dramatically improve your impact in every possible speaking scenario, be it an investor pitch, a board meeting, a select committee appearance, or even a virtual keynote. Join our live and interactive masterclass with Graham Davis on November 25th to take your public speaking skills to the next level. To find out more, visit intelligencesquared.com slash learn or click the link in our episode description. This week, we're joined by Anthony Scaramucci, the financier and former director of communications in President Donald Trump's White House. And we were joined again by Danielle Pletka, former vice president of the American Enterprise Institute and host of an excellent podcast called What the Hell is Going On? And together they debated the future of the Republican Party in the aftermath of the US election and whether Donald Trump and his family will still be a key part of republicanism going forward. It was a fascinating conversation and was hosted by Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian and regular presenter on BBC Radio 4. We hope you enjoy it. And now let's go to the episode. Hello and welcome to this Intelligence Squared post-US election special with me, Jonathan Friedland. We are recording on November the 17th, which means it's two weeks to the day after the United States went to vote on Election Day. Obviously, lots of people had voted in advance of that. Thereby hangs a tale. The Democrat Joe Biden has been called by the US TV networks and pretty well everyone else as the winner and therefore will be sworn in as the 46th president of the United States on January the 20th next year, even though he himself, Donald Trump, refuses to concede and continues to allege that he is the victim of wholesale electoral fraud for which he does not present much in the way of evidence. To help us understand what the election means for Trumpism, as well as for the future of the Republican Party and the United States, 
I'm delighted to introduce two guests well-placed to discuss this topic, um, wrestled with it both of them themselves. Uh, first up, Anthony Scaramucci is the founder and managing partner of Sky Bridge Capital, and he briefly, famously served for, I think it was, 11 days as the White House Director of Communications. You, you, you can mention I got fired, by the way. Everybody knows, so it's okay. fine. You don't, well, you don't have to be British polite or anything like very that. Very good. Okay. Well, we're, 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 we are, as it were, live now, Anthony, so we'll just include that. Everyone's now heard that. So Anthony was fired after 11 days. It was back in July 2017. He's also the author of Trump, the Blue Collar President, and has his own podcast called Mooch FM. And also in your picture is Danielle Pletka, and she is the former vice president and current senior fellow in foreign and defense policy studies at AEI, the American Enterprise Institute. She also has a podcast. Uh, she co-hosts that. It's called What the Hell is Going On and teaches U.S. Middle East policy at Georgetown University. And if you are as much of a politics geek as I am, you will have seen her regularly on NBC News's Meet the Press, which is shown here in the UK every now and again. Okay, well, welcome to you both. Very good to see you. I think what would be good as a starter is to say that, look, you're both mem you know, part of the Republican family one way or another, but you made big choices for 2020. Why don't you just kick us off with the, the decision you made in the end about how you would use your vote? And we'll start with you, Danny. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, that's starting with a starting with a, a, a difficult question that I actually don't talk about all that often. Uh, so I actually didn't vote early. I voted on uh, I voted on election day, which we usually do here in America, and uh, but didn't this year, which caused uh, a lot of problems, as you suggested. I've been an American citizen for God. 28 years now. So this was this was not my first uh, my, not my first rodeo, and I I decided. With, with a lot of difficulty, actually, to, to vote for Donald Trump. So that's what I did. And you voted, you, did you have a chance to vote in congressional elections as well? And if you I, did, how I voted you a straight Republican ticket. Okay. I, okay. I have that's... almost always, except for my first election, either voted a straight Republican ticket or not voted, except in 2016. Where, how did you do, what did you do then? I didn't vote for Donald Trump. But you won't tell us who. Well, I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton either. The, the, it's pretty meaningless to most people because uh, third candidates were not on the same third candidates were not on the ballot in every state, no, and so no. I voted for a third candidate in uh, in our state. Frankly, um, a, a waste of my vote, if I may say so. Okay. Well, let's hear from you, Anthony. I'm going to come back to some of the choices you made there, Danny. But Anthony, how did you cast your vote? I, listen, I voted for Joe Biden, but you know the, the the problem with these votes in the United States, as everybody knows, it, depending on your state, it's not a hundred percent clear if your vote matters. So I vote in the state of New York. That's a blue state. It's been a blue state since uh, nineteen eighty four, and so you know it's it, the, the, the there's trouble in the horizon for the American presidential electoral politics. The system, I think, needs to be reengineered. Yeah, no, I, I, if we have time, I'd love to get onto that because that, that's in the air quite a bit. And I think it's a really important thought. So, we, Danny, just back to you and your choice. I, I was interested partly because I've seen you tweeting a few pieces, including one that said, once again, the American people in their wisdom have come up with the most prudent outcome, which is a kind of <laughs> gridlocked situation, meaning a Republican controlled Senate, 
Democrat in the White House. And that seemed to suit you pretty well, just you know, deconstructing your Twitter feed. And therefore, I wondered if you were going to tell us, yes, you'd voted like Anthony for Joe Biden at the top of the ticket, but perhaps for Republicans at congressional level. But no, in the end, you went for Trump. Why don't we? We're, we're obviously not going to relitigate the election and these choices are now behind us. But just in a nutshell, because I think it'll be good so that people know where the two of you are coming from. I know you've had some misgivings and it was even there in, in, in your answer. But why in the end did you come down for backing Trump for, for, for a second term? Look, I, I wrote a, a big piece in The Washington Post about this uh, before the election, uh, one that, uh, as I think I've said, even on this self-same podcast, earned me lots and lots of friends and new admirers. For me, uh, look, I'm a conservative. I always have been. And that's why I vote Republican. Uh, I'm not a Republican. I'm a conservative. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016. The problem for me this year was not who was running uh, for re-election, the person of Donald Trump. We know what his sins are. God knows you can say a lot of things about Donald Trump, but he doesn't hide his uh, his issues. For me, the Democratic Party has become untethered to the purpose and history of American liberalism. Progressives talking about socialism, talking about court packing, talking about expanding the size of the House of Representatives, talking about bringing in the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico into the United States Senate, less because of a conviction that those two territories actually belong in the Senate, which is an argument that I think is is justified and worth having, but because they wanted to secure a permanent democratic majority. Outcome-oriented revisions to our institutions that I think are actually more detrimental to the republic than another four-year term of Donald Trump. So that's why I didn't vote for Biden. And why didn't I, uh, why am I happy with the outcome? I'm happy with the outcome. Well, we'll see in January, but I suspect I will be happy with the outcome because I think that a Republican Senate will curb the worst excesses of the Democratic Party's far left, which is in ascendancy and which I suspect will uh, have poor Joe Biden by the throat. I think uh, if I have to look forward, I think to myself, the person who Joe Biden is probably happy about other than himself is Mitch McConnell being the Senate Majority Leader. Okay. Well, again, something to pick up there because the fear, Anthony, is that some people have is that, okay, great, they're very happy that Joe Biden is in the White House. These are Democrats I'm talking about and they're sympathisers around the world. But his hands are going to be tied. He's going to be unable to do anything um, you know, as president because he will have Mitch McConnell sitting there as a big human roadblock in the the Senate and won't be able to do much. And I noticed, again, deconstructing the Twitter feed, that you have been already on the case about Democrats winning in Georgia, those two Senate seats that are up for grabs in January, uh, as if to say, I think that you would like to see those go into Democrat hands, I presume, so that Joe Biden can do things. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Fill in our listeners just on how you, a Republican who actually worked for Donald Trump, yes, fired, eventually voted for Joe Biden. I don't want to presuppose anything, but I'm sensing some ambivalence in what Danny is actually saying. And I feel ambivalent as well, because I want there to be a mixed government because that will slow down some of the nonsense. I certainly don't want the radical left hijacking the United States. Uh, That would be a version of American Corbynism. And you see how that was rejected in the UK. And I predict that the United States would hate that sort of form of government. But You have a bigger problem here. You have a demagogue that actually hijacked the Republican Party and he 
basically turned the party into a personality cult. And so as an example, you came out of the presidential convention without a party platform. And so I don't know the last time we did that, but it's probably been a long, long time ago if we ever did that. And it just signifies what a personality cult we've got running. You've got guys like Lindsey Graham, who I used to respect. I was a donor of his. Uh, he's calling the secretary of state in Georgia and telling him to throw out uh, legal ballots. And so, you know, this is a problem for me. Uh, I also fear, because I look at the demographics of the United States, the Southern strategy that the Republicans have deployed since the Lyndon Johnson era has blown a lot of racist dog whistles. And so, you know, we can pretend that it didn't do that, but it's obviously has done that. And now they're caught because they're painted in. They, they are becoming a aging white demographic of people that buy catheters and my pillows from Fox News commercial interruptions. And so if they want to go in that direction, they can do that. But I think that's very dangerous for the United States. Core conservatism, core Republican ideas were not represented on the ballot in 2016 or in 2020. I did the wrong thing. I've admitted that. I went to work for Donald Trump. I supported him. I was with Jeb Bush, who I thought was more of a classic conservative. I held my nose and went with Donald Trump, and then I went went hard for him. Uh, that was a mistake. I have to own that mistake for the rest of my life. But if you had Donald Trump win this election, the perversity that would have happened to the American Republic would have been tragic for the world. He would have disrupted the institutions of our democracy. He would have put great harm on the post-World War II architecture. If you see what's going on in Asia right now with the Asian Pacific trade deals, which we should have been a part of, which we are not a part of. Uh, he's, he's, he's put America last and he's put Donald Trump first and he needed to be rejected at the polls in order to save the republic. And I would make one more argument. His rejection at the polls and the possible rejection of those two Republican senators, which frankly I'm ambivalent about, uh, but if they are rejected, I hope it'll cause what happens in American corporations, which is a, a dunking and a reset and perhaps an ending of this schism, which is a worse schism than the Ronald Reagan, Gerald Ford schism. See, I thank you. I, I hear that. And Danny, I think that's whether right or wrong. I don't feel that's going to happen. That kind of rethink among Republicans because of the nature of the result. It wasn't big, big win for Joe Biden. I mean, millions ahead in the popular vote. And even in the Electoral College, 306 Electoral College votes. Kellyanne Conway four years ago said that was a landslide, a blowout. So we have to say that's a big win on the presidential level. But elsewhere, down ballot congressionally, you know, Republicans gained seats in the House, didn't lose so far, it seems, their majority in the Senate. Would I be right in thinking that the big kind of soul-searching rethink that Anthony has in mind is not going to happen anytime soon in the Republican Party. Certainly, I don't think that that any any candidate really held that out. So you know, we can talk about what he wants or what I want, but I think that that really wasn't on the ballot this year, and and it was on the ballot in twenty sixteen, and it was rejected. You know, we do owe it to our democracy to be mindful of the messages that the public is sending. And I would say that that goes equally for the Democratic Party uh, as for the Republican Party. You know, 
on the one hand, you can suggest, and I'm not going to argue with you uh, because it's not my job to defend Donald Trump. You can suggest that that he ran an entirely selfish campaign and an uh, administration, and that he views the Republican Party as a tool uh, for his own political purposes, which are basically not political, but rather personal aggrandizement. You know, yeah. I think you can bring a lot of persuasive evidence to bear about that. But that isn't why people voted for him, at least for the most part. And what we see from discussions about this, what we see from exit polls, with all the caveats about exit polls, is that the Republican Party as it was, the party that, that, that Anthony likes, the party that I feel comfortable in. You know, I'm socially quite liberal. I'm a fiscal conservative. I'm a national security hawk. I, you know, that's not a Trump voter. Uh, but that that party didn't have any resonance with vast swaths of the country. And that whatever Donald Trump had on offer, like it or not, did. Okay. Because Joe Biden got millions of votes. Absolutely. Decisive. You know, I don't care what Kellyanne Conway says. I didn't care then and I don't care now. But, you know, all you need is one extra electoral vote in our electoral college, and he got it. And that's a win, right? But Donald Trump still scored an incredible more than 70 million votes, okay? That is not a repudiation. And it's important to understand that. And for those of us who actually think about conservative ideas and think about the dangers, as, as, as Anthony correctly said, right, the dangers of some of these sort of ridiculous extremist socialist policies, we need to listen, we need to understand, and we need to be thinking forward. Is the party doing that? Uh, no. But, you know, the notion that a bunch of corporate leaders are going to be, are, are going to be tribunes of a new Republican party, please, you know, it's not 1898. Let me um, just, Anthony, to you, I want you to react. Well, to I, I, I didn't mean to imply that there were going to be corporate leaders. Uh, I, I, I'm talking about an analogy in a corporation. When a corporation is doing poorly, they reset the leadership at the top, you know, the this is a this is a repudiation of Donald Trump. You can look at those numbers in two different ways. You could see a signal, which Trump would like to see, or you could see a noise, which I'm seeing. You know, I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood. I lived two miles from where my parents raised me. Uh, most of my cousins have not been educated. They're working as clamors out here on Long Island, or they own a deli or an auto glass uh, facility. And uh, the dilemma that blue collar people have right now is that wages, because of globalization, modern monetary theory, a whole host of different things, wages for middle and lower income Americans have been crushed. And so my dad, who was an hourly worker and a crane operator for 42 years, he could raise me in the middle class in the 60s, 70s and 80s, that very same job today is at minus 26% in real income, a result of which that person operating that job is getting some kind of governmental dependence. And so this frustration is throughout the country. I did 71 campaign stops with President Trump. He saw something. I want to give him full credit for that. He saw this anxiety. He saw a generation of blue-collar people going from aspirational blue-collar people to desperational blue-collar people. And I applaud him for seeing that. But he didn't do anything about it. He didn't offer one policy response. He didn't want offer one policy solution. 
They're angry. They're upset. He offered himself up to be an avatar of their anger. That's what he did. But what we know about anger, it dissipates. And what we know about this situation, if we can come up with the right policies to help these people, and I predict that we can do that, their anger will dissipate. They're voting for themselves. They're not voting for Donald Trump. That is a referendum about the system, and it's a referendum about them feeling disengaged and left out of the system. Most of those people, when you interview them, they despise Donald Trump. They despise his personality. He's actually a a coddled, rich boy elitist, if you really study who he is. And, And most of those people know that, but they don't like the system, and they think the system has been unfair to them, and they think there's been an indifference by establishment politicians in our country related to that system. So let, let I'm, not jump, call, I'm not call, calling for a corporate takeover. No, I, I understood that. Let me, let We've me, already let, had that. Yeah. That's been a failure. But the nonsense going on right now is going to put that party right over the cliff demographically. That party needs to look more like the colorful, beautiful mosaic of the American people. And they better come up with some fresh leaders and some fresh ideas to expand that tent because the gerrymandering and the voter suppression is not going to be the ticket to winning in the future. Okay, Danny's obviously got lots to come back on on that, and particularly about demographics, I suspect, given the the votes. But let's just—I just want to put to you, Anthony, and then Danny, please react as well. A conversation I had with a Republican who was like you, Anthony. He was he was a big Jeb Bush supporter, who said, "Look, he agreed Trump's personality was—I think the word he used was gross. He didn't like it, but he said somehow it took Trump." to end what he called Bushism. This is somebody who was previously a supporter of Jeb Bush. He said before Trump, the Republican Party was associated with, and I quote, endless wars, that was how he put it, siding with kind of the big healthcare insurers, the insurance companies, and rather than with the healthcare users, and particularly with trade deals that shipped jobs abroad. And he said, like him personally or not, and he didn't like him personally, Donald Trump has shifted the Republican Party away from those positions to a set of positions which is against endless wars and is actually against trade agreements that ship jobs away. And once you have that Trumpism, without this gross personality at the top, Donald Trump, he was bright and hopeful for Republican prospects. He thought Republicans have a very bright future. And he thought that's what the vote, those big uh, Republican votes for success in the House and Senate, and even the 70 million that voted for Donald Trump, that's what he thinks that's about. And so he thinks, let the Democrats go off into AOC-style American Corbynism, to use your phrase, Anthony. Trump, gross though he is personally, has crafted a new platform, a new area for the Republican Party, which won't be just the elderly viewers of Fox News that you were talking about, but could actually be this kind of rainbow coalition of Hispanic voters and others. So he's grateful to Trump because he sees a future of Trumpism without Trump. I want to hear your reaction to that, Anthony, and then yours, Danny. Well, I've, I've already over-talked, so I'll, I'll be brief. I think that's a bunch of nonsense. And I'll use a Joe Biden word. I'll say that it's complete malarkey. Uh, you need those trade deals. You need to plug the United States into the global system. But then you also need an industrial policy, a manufacturing policy, a jobs training policy. And you need to reset and rebalance the private and public education system, K-12 through in the United States, And I'll say one last thing. We have no 20-year plan on anything in this country. We've got a bunch of politicians that are going after each other on cable news. Uh, No 20-year plan. Chinese have a plan. The Saudis have a plan. But the United States, which used to think with very long-term strategic planning, the doctrine of containment, 
the the moon launch, etc. We have no planning anymore. And if we put that planning in place, the country's best days are ahead of itself. But Trumpism is not the answer. Danny. You know, I, I sort of find myself torn between between you and, and, and Anthony. Uh, you know, on the one hand... Remember, not uh, me, my, my Republican you, interlocutor. You, 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 your, yes, your deus ex machina and Anthony. And I, I'll be honest, the one thing that... that just really sticks in my craw is the notion that we want to dismiss 70 million people as a bunch of schmucks. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know who they're voting for. They're too stupid to understand X, Y, or Z. You know, look, uh, again, I suspect that, that, that in a lot of ways, uh, I'm more comfortable, you know, with the, the Jeb Bushes of this world than I am with the Donald Trumps of this world. That being said, the notion of uh, that 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 we should have contempt for people who and, and make no mistake, people who voted for Donald Trump, the man, you will not meet a pollster who will not say Democrat, Republican, left, right, who will not say that Trump's voters' enthusiasm was a lot about. Donald Trump. Now, again, you know, do I want to have him to a dinner party? Do I agree about these things? No, but these people deserve respect and they deserve our attention. And while, you know, we can encapsulate their, their claims uh, about income, uh, the reality is it's not simply about wages and about income. It's also about a sense of having been forgotten by the party's elites. And this is a lesson. You cannot dismiss it. Nor, by the way, can you... And again, I, am, I don't watch Fox News. I don't watch any cable news. Uh, but, you know, the, the sort of, you know, flipping off a bunch of my pillow commercial watchers, you know, is, 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 not, is not productive. Not, not because I love my pillow. I've I've never used it, although I do confess to a strange fascination after having heard about it again and again and again. But look, you know, these, these people actually, uh, these people actually are conscious voters and they're dissatisfied with what the Democratic Party is offering them. And for whatever reason, they saw something in what Donald Trump was offering them. They're not just white. Okay? They're not just Rupert Murdoch. They are more Hispanics than ever voted before for the Republican Party, including for Florida Jeb Bush. They are more blacks than have ever voted for the Republican Party. That is, that is not simply a lesson for the Republican Party. It's also a lesson for the Democratic Party. People don't like being told, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And I, Understand that, just as I don't like being told if you don't vote for me as a woman, you're not a Democrat or you're not a woman. You know, no, people don't like that. So there are a lot of lessons to be learned here. And I think there, there's a lot of humility that, that, that should be displayed by our political leaders and unfortunately perhaps won't be about understanding what it is, what the messages are that are being sent. Anthony, because I want to move on to what's going on now and the non-concession, etc. But just before we get there, Anthony, what about that Latino vote, the Hispanic vote? It wasn't just among Cubans and Venezuelans in Miami-Dade County who have a particular issue about the word socialism. 
it seemed to be quite widespread, this rise, I think up to a third, 36% of Hispanic voters backing Donald Trump. I'm just looking at the title of your book about the blue collar president. Did he somehow connect with those voters? There's no, trust me, I, I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood. I still live in it. I, I, there's no uh, contempt I have for anybody. I'm just trying to explain to you observationally what's going on. Uh, m- most of those people are hardworking and very smart people. When I got to Harvard, I was listening to all this BS about these people's neighborhoods. I was like, hey, d- dudes, the kids in my neighborhood are just as smart as you guys. They just have sheetrock uh workers and plumbers as parents. You know, they didn't go to these fancy pants schools. So they're just as smart in those neighbors as they are in any other neighborhood. There's no there's no contempt whatsoever, but it's not about Trump. And you watch how if good policies are put into place, how quickly Trumpism dissipates, because the guy is a mean spirited guy. He's a malicious guy. And most of those people know that, you know, and and it's just the way it is. And so well, that's why my did belief. Hispanic voters and, go for and, him? That's what I'm wondering. Pre- uh, Hispanic voters have voted for him because primarily they're social conservatives. If you look at the Hispanic, I don't want to be overly generalized about any group or any demographic, but they're social conservatives in the Midwest. And Mr. Trump understood this better than anybody. He has phenomenal political instincts. He's just too selfish to really put the right coalition together. He got lucky last time winning by 78,000 votes and a very thin margin in three states. But uh, those those voters in the Midwest, believe it or not, they're actually social conservatives and they're fiscal liberals. They want tremendous amounts of spending from the government and they want tremendous amounts of things from the government, to quote our radical left friends, free stuff, but they want social conservatism. And so it's ironic, but Mr. Trump understands that better than anybody. I was on the plane with him, 71 campaign stops, and he would remark almost after every rally, these are not the people that you think they are. And so he's got better instincts than I do politically, but it's also about character, it's also about morality, and it's also about the cultural identity of what you want the United States. So they voted for him. I'm not saying that they didn't. If you look at the 2004 numbers for George W. Bush, they're close to what Donald Trump has. Danny's right. There's definitely a message there in what they're doing. But I think uh, good policy with normal people, none of this bellicosity of rhetoric on Twitter or going after your private citizens or disengaging America's allies and praising despots and dictators around the world. I don't think Americans really want that. I think they want to be heard. Those 70 million people, uh, they want jobs and they want aspirational opportunity for their family members. And so, but Trumpism is a perversion. And if guys like Tom Cotton think because they have a higher IQ than Donald Trump that they're going to take it and take it to the exponent, hopefully there'll be people inside that party that will will knock those guys down a peg or two because it's just not the it's not the answer for America. It's not it's not the right vision for America. And I worry about it and I'm happy to speak out against it. Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation 
of George Orwell's classic. 1984 was pretty cool. And I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents with the code squared. Simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. Let's move on to where we are right now. What is Donald Trump up to in refusing to recognise this election result? Is it, Danny, a tantrum? You know, and people have been saying it's like a kind of toddler who wants to keep on going on the on the ride and doesn't want to get off. Or is it more sinister than that? Is it some kind of plot designed either? People have been using the word coup. People have been wondering whether he's got some longer term plan about building a movement fed by the grievance of a stolen election, even if there is no evidence for that. What's your read of what Donald Trump is up to by refusing to recognise that he lost this election? I mean, I think it's a combination of of all of the things that you just suggested. And and again, you know, we're all sitting in little boxes on my laptop, you know, and and, and have no idea what, and probably will never have any idea what what you know what he's actually thinking. One thing I can say after too many decades in Washington is that anything that looks like a plot invariably comes down to <laughs> comes down to incompetence rather than intention. So I suspect there's no there's no coup here at play. I think that there's a combination of a terribly, terribly immature tantrum-like behavior married to a not unshrewd and, you know, somewhat feral marketing sense that Donald Trump has that, that all of us have, you know, kind of watched with some surprise over the last four years that suggests that he is building his platform for 2024, that he is building that grievance-based claim that the election was stolen, not just for me, the election was stolen from you, and your voice hasn't been heard, and I'm coming back, and I am going to be your megaphone, and I'm going to fight the good fight for you. Yeah, you, you can see it as a, as a, as a campaign. Is it persuasive? I don't think it's going to be persuasive to, to, you know, it's not persuasive to me, but I'm not the target. I, I, I don't think it's going to be persuasive to Anthony because, well, because I just listened to him. But I think that does there it not are a lot worry of people. You though, does it not worry you though, Danny, what it does when a, a, it just a candidate in an election that basically was free and fair says I, it was stolen? Is that not troubling for the republic? Um, you know, look, I'll be honest with you and say I don't like that. I found it absolutely disgusting when uh, Democrats said in 2016, he's not my president. I found it absolutely disgusting when the FBI manipulated its own courts and its own collection system in order to implicate people who... I don't personally like and don't actually respect their judgment, but to actually, you know, cause them to be investigated for, for betraying no, no, uh, you, our you national pivoted, interest. You, you, you so, pivoted away there. I'm no, talking, I didn't. The no, dude. No, no, you I have didn't. a little bit. The difference is Hillary Clinton said, I've lost the election on the day of the election. Yeah, but I'm not that, talking that, about Republicans but, not I'm not talking about Democrats not liking it or not being happy. She did acknowledge that she'd lost and he isn't acknowledging that he's lost. Right. But uh, yes, I think I, but I, I think, think she's hang on. making a stronger point that they were obstructionists and they were 
saying that they weren't his president. And so they were disavowing him. And so now it's so, sort of hypocritical, is I think the point that Danny's making. Thank well, you. I get the Thank point, but I'm that. saying that it's, but I don't but, think it's comparing like with like, is it? Yeah, but but yes, right. You're being very, you're being very refined. Um, and, uh, and I would argue that actually that actually the immaturity of one and and you know we I think we've pretty much established what we think about Donald Trump right the immaturity of one the unwillingness to you know as we as one might say in London to play the game properly is something that we already know about Donald Trump I don't think that it is I don't think that it is dangerous for our democracy I do think that it is I do think that it is bad form and a bad mistake on his part and that at a certain moment when when all of the election is certified, and, you know, let's be fair to him and say when the election is certified, that he should man up and hand the transition over. I thought he should have handed the transition over in the beginning. But I will say that the notion that somehow what he is doing is absolutely beyond the pale and that a four-year campaign to discredit Trump, setting aside all of the problems that we agree about with Donald Trump are not as dissimilar as one might otherwise suggest. Okay, Anthony, what's Donald Trump up to? Is it a tantrum or a plot? Well, first of all, Danny and I agree with the hypocrisy. I mean, it's, it's they 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 like asymmetric hypocrisy. So, I mean, it's something I despise, and so I totally agree with where she's going on that. But it doesn't give President Trump the halo or the alibi to do what he's doing right now. Uh, If anything, every day it compounds more evidence of how unfit he is and how he was absolutely the wrong personality to be the president of the United States. And so there are three reasons why he's doing this. I know the son of a bitch about as well as anybody. Uh, Number one is money. Number two is money. And number three is money. Okay. And those are the three reasons. There are no other reasons and the nonsense that he's going to be a political force in the future, again, to use a boat Joe Biden term, is a bunch of malarkey because it's not going to be about him in the future. And so if it's not about him, he's not going to do it. He doesn't even care about his kids. I've been in the room in the Oval Office where he's lambasting Jared and Ivanka and he's ripping through Don Jr. and Eric. It's only about him. OK, so the three reasons are money. And he's not going to be a political force in the future. As much as I predicted he was going to lose this election, I can almost guarantee to you that he's not going to be a political force in the future. He's got criminal investigations going on. He's going to turn 75. And this guy is not going to go out to crowds that are going to be gradually reducing in crowd size as a result of the fact that he has no power. Tell us how he makes money by doing this refusal to hand over. Because he's sending out these mailers. He's raised $85 million thus far, and he's sending out mailers to his people. These are his, you know, cons. Please, we're fighting this false idea about a fake election and the fake news media and blah, blah, blah. And in the subtext, in the print, fine print, it says, I'm going to be using this to pay off my campaign debt. And I'm going to be using this to uh, my forward operations, whatever I may need. He doesn't need $85 million to fight these cases that he's losing every single case. He's gone 0 for 17. The other, the other thing he's doing, which I find fascinating, is he grifted probably several hundred million dollars from the campaign. 
He ran out of money three weeks ago. He couldn't do the polling. He had no idea where to go because they couldn't do the polling. They ran out of money. Did he complain about it? No, he didn't complain about it. He had his campaign manager with a gun to his head six weeks ago. Why? We stole all the money and we gave it to the family members and we gave it to Trump himself. Come on, guys. Come on. You know, when, when the windows open and you hear clippity clop, it's a horse. It's not a zebra. Come on. We don't have to overthink this. This guy's a cretin and he's going and Trumpism is going with him. And we are going to build a very big coalition of people to make sure that that happens. You think the campaign contributions are literally going to go into his pocket? Well, I know that the campaign contributions went into his pocket and these campaign contributions are going to go to pay the debt that they they incurred as a result of all the money grifted out of the campaign. Danny, do you have hey, a- hey, hey, guys, you're not standing there with a gun to your head if you're the campaign manager and everything's hunky-dory, guys. Come on. Why do you think it is that so – why don't we do this with Anthony first, then Danny, and we'll probably then have to wrap up. Uh, Anthony, why is it you, – you mentioned Lindsey Graham before. Why is it so few Republicans who are not the same as him – they don't have the family backstory that you've been describing so vividly just now – why are they not saying – Come on, you lost the election. You've got a handover. This is bad. Instead, saying they're the trying, cowards. they're tiptoeing around it. They never fought in the war. The cowards. You know, my uncle, who I'm named after, was on Normandy Beach. He survived Normandy Beach when he hit one of the villages in France. He got wounded. He was in a hospital. My grandmother wanted him to come home. He said no. He met up with his uh, battalion at, at Potsdam. Okay, not a coward. You got 52 cowards. If John Kennedy was alive right now, he'd be writing a book called Profiles and Cowardice. And he'd go through the 52 jokers that let him off the hook. They're cowards. I mean, they're afraid of a presidential tweet. I mean, the guy has called me a low life. He's called me an unstable nut job. All projection on his part, by the way. Do you think I care? I'm a New Yorker. Okay, we're going to knock this guy into next week. This guy is going to be finished on the political stage. Okay, he's a criminal. And he's a dishonest guy and he's going. But those guys are cowards. You know that they're cowards and I know that they're cowards. Now they're going to shape shift again after he's gone and they're going to pretend that it didn't happen. This is why Washington, you know, come on. I got an 11 day PhD in Washington scumbaggery. I know what these people are like. I know how they handle themselves in their dinner parties and stuff like that. You want to talk about blue collar people? They don't like that. They don't like it. Danny. Why are these Republicans not saying anything about this very narrow point about a peaceful transition and a rapid transition? You know, I have I have so much envy uh, that I uh, that I I don't I can't bring the kind of colorful description that that Anthony brings to these things. Uh, you know, I worked in the Senate for ten years. Uh, I don't think anybody who serves in the Senate is a coward. I don't think Tom Cotton, who served in Iraq, is a coward. I don't think that uh, Lindsey Graham, who was a jag and served his country, uh, is a coward. I don't I don't think any of the Democrats are cowards either. It takes too much courage frankly, to go into politics these days. Too much willingness to lay bare your life. And so I, I wouldn't do it. And I'm not going to have contempt for, for any of those who do. Uh, I would love to have a decisive, satisfying answer. I think that there are a lot of members of Congress who are telling Donald Trump behind the scenes that they think that there needs to be an orderly transition and that it needs to ease off. 
But I also think that there is still this enduring mystery about what Trump's magic is. You know, Anthony dismisses it. And, and I guess I, I, I can't because I don't understand it well enough. And I think that that's the way a lot of elected officials feel right now. They know that Trump rode the tiger. They recognize that he lost, but he didn't lose by that much. And they're not sure about how to talk to his people who I think they think of as his constituents in some ways. And so they're just not looking for any trouble. Now, will when push comes to shove, members, you know, sit him down and say, you know, dude, you got to move out? Sure they will, but they're not going to do it in the public confrontational way that I think a lot of others would like because they're not looking to satisfy people who go around saying that they're scumbags and gutless wonders. They're looking to satisfy people who voted for them. We are unfortunately out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. Um, well, thank I, you. I think they're cowards. So I just got to <laughs> let you guys know that before we finish up. I, I, think, you ma- I think you made your they let this guy. They let this guy clear. walk on them. <laughs> yeah, they let this guy walk on them. And by the way, there's something called good trouble. And these guys don't know how to make trouble, but they should have knocked this guy out when they had the chance. And if they put up somebody like Haley and Pence, they would have had a competitive chance this time. Well, you've just so, be, you, this guy really hurt the Republican Party. He set up a party bag about twenty five years. You watch, watch what happens now. You, you indulge me on this just because you mentioned Haley and Pence. Twenty twenty four. Who wants? Give me three or four names that Republicans will be choosing from for their candidate for twenty twenty four, and whether any of them will have Trump as part of their name. Start with you, Danny. I think Haley is, uh, Nikki Haley obviously wants to run. Mike Pompeo wants to run. Uh, but, you know, we forget four years is a bloody long, long time, even longer in COVID Washington years. And so the notion that we have a, a, a clear view of, of who the dramatis personae is, uh, are going to be is just unlikely. But I think the odds that Donald Trump isn't part of that calculus are extraordinarily low. Or if I may put it in a more Anthony-like way, dude, I would take that bet. <laughs> Anthony, very nice. What, who do you see so as the I'm field? I'm take the bet. I'm ta- Danny, I'm taking the bet, okay? okay. You're going to buy me dinner. I got a lot of dinner bets on Trump losing. You're going to be buying me dinner. We'll go to Cafe Milano. Okay, let me tell you something, okay? <laughs> this guy's not going to be – we're close to this thing in 2024. That's 200 years from now. In Trump time – Four years from now is like taking us back to Christopher Columbus. I mean, come on. Okay, but I do like those other people, even though they kowtowed to Trump. I do like those other people. And somebody like Nikki Haley, in my opinion, is a superstar. And so, again, you know, I think Mike really hurt himself. I'm sorry, Secretary Pompeo, who I have a lot of respect for. I think he really hurt himself with that nonsense that he said at the press conference a few days ago. I I think he was probably, and again, I want to defend him. I like the guy. He was trying to be, I think, sarcastic, but I don't think that came across well. Um, but I mean, there's a stable of good guys. But let me tell you something: they gotta, they gotta go out there and they gotta change these ideas up. These and 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 Danny said the guy won. He won narrowly. He did a masterful job of convincing these Republicans that he was Ronald Reagan in '84. He won by seventy-eight thousand votes which is why I knew he was going to get pounded this time. Knew he was going to get pounded because of his personality. And he got pounded. He got pounded. Five states flipped and he got pounded into the ground. 
I would love to and keep going. And if these going. guys go with Trumpism, they're going to get pounded into the ground again. Okay, we are so sadly out of time. Anthony Scaramucci, Danielle. Do we Petka. have a bet, though? I want to know if I have a bet with Danny before I hang up. I mean, do we have For a sure. bet? For yep. sure. No? Yep. For sure, we got a bet. It's, right, got, it's on the table. I promise to talk. I promise to talk less at Cafe Milano when you're buying dinner. Okay, I promise. <laughs> that is confirmed. There is a wager between our two guests about whether Donald Trump is in the mix in 2024. For now, our thanks to Danielle Pletka and Anthony Scaramucci. I'm Jonathan Friedland. You've been listening to Intelligence Squared. Thank you both very much. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.